and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at the fourth minor prophet, Obadiah. So far, we have covered Hosea, who married a harlot, which was an object lesson of how Israel was unfaithful to the Lord. Next was Joel, who had a plague of locusts, which called the people to repent before the day of the Lord came upon them. Yesterday, Amos prophesied, Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream to Israel, whose worship and actions toward people were not godly. As I have said before, the two issues that get the Lord's goat are how we treat people and how we treat the Lord, and Israel failed miserably at both. Today, with Obadiah, This prophecy is about the nation of Edom. So before we look at the book itself, we need to do a bit of Old Testament history to show the friction between these two nations. Israel and Edom's story starts back way in Genesis chapter 25. The covenant of Israel began with Abraham, who had Isaac, and then Isaac and Rebekah had twins. And even in the womb, they struggled together. Verse 22, the Lord said to Rebekah, two nations are in your womb, and two people will be separated from your body, and one people will be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Verse 23, the first son came out red. And he was named Esau, which means red. And the other was holding on to Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which meant one who takes by the heel or supplants. Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. The parents had favorites. That's never good. After the kids were grown, one day, Esau came home from hunting and he was so impatient that he sold Jacob his birthright of being the oldest, the firstborn, for a bowl of red stew. So his name was changed to Edom, which also means red. Then things got worse. At Rebekah's suggestion, Jacob deceived his father who was dying for a blessing that was intended for Esau. It went as follows. See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. When Esau came home from his hunting and found out that his brother had stolen his blessing, he cried out, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. Isaac then blessed Esau with this blessing. Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of heaven from above. 
By your sword you shall live, and your brother you will serve. But it shall come about when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. Genesis chapter 2 verses 39 through 40. Once Isaac died, Esau planned to kill Jacob. Jacob, therefore, was sent away by his mother to Rebekah's home to find a wife. Years passed, and Jacob was afraid to see his brother again as he and his family headed home. On the way, Jacob met the Lord and wrestled with him. He would not let go until he was blessed. It was at this time that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. For you have wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Genesis chapter 32 verses 24 through 32. Meeting Esau was good and the Lord had blessed Esau. But Jacob did not really trust being around Esau. So they did not live near each other. From there, Jacob and his family went to Egypt because of the famine through the enslavement of Joseph one of Jacob's sons. Jacob and Joseph died there, and then the people were enslaved there. Then we have the story of Moses and how the Lord brought them out of Egypt. During the wanderings, they approached the land of Edom, the descendants of Esau, because there was a roadway that would make easy passage called the King's Highway. But Edom would not let them pass that way. And they even brought heavy force and strong hand against Israel. So Israel went the long way. This is found in Numbers chapter 20 verses 14 through 21. From there, Israel took the promised land with Joshua. The conquering of the land continued during the times of the judges. And there seemed to be peace between the nations at that time which may be due to the verse in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 7a, when the Lord tells the Israelites, you shall not detest an Edomite, for he is your brother. Then the people asked for a king, and Saul was the first king of the nation of Israel. As with kings, they wished to widen their kingdom, and again we see conflict between Israel and Edom. Now, geographically, nine and a half of Israel's tribes were on the west side of the Sea of Galilee in the north. Then the Jordan River runs south and then it ends up into the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea. On the east side of the Jordan River and the northern part of the Salt Sea or the Dead Sea, there were two and a half tribes of Israel. Now, underneath that, on the lower east side of the Salt Sea was Moab, and then the southern tip of the Salt Sea, or the Dead Sea, was Edom, and it connected to Judah's southern border. We learn in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 47, that Saul invaded Edom. Then we learn that when King David reigned, he defeated the Edomites in the Valley of Salt, This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. Then after the split of the kingdom, and as the kings of Judah and Israel changed, there were various conflicts with Edom, such as Joab tried to kill all the males of Edom in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 14 through 25. 
Israel put a deputy governor over Edom in 1 Kings chapter 22:47. When Joram became king, the Edomites revolted against Judah and set up their own king, 2 Kings chapter 8 verses 16 through 22. And in Second Chronicles chapter 28, verses 16 through 27, when Israel was attacking Judah from the north, then Edomites attacked Judah from the south and took captives. Historically, but not in the Bible, it is said that when Babylon attacked Judah from the north, then once again Edom attacked from the south. Now that you have a little history of the relationship between Israel and Edom, Let's dive into Obadiah, the shortest book of the Old Testament. It is only one chapter long, and Dr. Bet says the key words for Obadiah are judgment of Edom. It begins, the vision of Obadiah. Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. But like Joel, that's it. That's all we got. There are many Obadiahs in the Old Testament. One book said there were at least 12. But in 1 Kings 18, verse 3, one is described as over the household of Ahab, and he feared the Lord greatly. Now, the Babylonian Talmud identifies him as this Obadiah. But the truth is that is inconclusive because we have no other identifying marks like son of so-and-so, etc., As with Joel, we then have to put on our detective hats and look for clues in the passage itself. And there are three factors in the book that help. One, Edom invaded Judah when it was down. Two, the devastation of Jerusalem in verses 10 through 14. And three, Obadiah's relationship with the book of Jeremiah. Now, what I mean by point three is that Obadiah has verses that are almost identical to Jeremiah. And these are Obadiah verses 1b through 4, which correlate with Jeremiah chapter 49 verses 14 through 16. And then Obadiah verses 5 and 6 are like Jeremiah chapter 49 verses 9 and 10, but in reverse order. So then the question comes up, who copied whom? Which was written first? Or did they each copy a different book or teacher? One thing that nobody mentions is just maybe God told them to say the same thing. Truth is, we don't know. Edom has invaded Judah at various times. And then the problem with the destruction of Jerusalem is, are we talking about partial attacks or are we talking then about the final attack with Babylon in 587-586 BC? The way I read it, it sounds like it's the final attack. So I lean more toward that later date, but no one really knows for sure. So let's recap. Who? Obadiah. What? Prophecy against Edom. When? Maybe 587, 586 BC, but hotly debated. Where? Probably Judah, because Jerusalem and Mount Zion are mentioned. One thing to note is that this is a prophecy or a national oracle against Edom. And it may have been preached to Edom, but the book itself and the message was a message of hope for the nation of all Israel, telling them that God will fight for them. Why? 
because of Edom's treatment against the nation of Israel. Now that we have said all of that, let's dig into the scripture of Obadiah. Verse 1 is the introduction, which I already read. Verses 2 through 4 are the indictment against Edom. They are despised, arrogant, and deceived. They think they are high like the eagle and that nobody can touch them, but the Lord can. Verses 5 through 9, Edom's day of the Lord is announced. They will be ransacked, all their hidden treasures taken. Their friends will turn on them and deceive and overpower them. Edom was known for their wisdom, and the Lord addressed that by saying that the wise men and their understanding will be destroyed. Their mighty men will be dismayed, and they will be slaughtered. Edom's judgment is explained in verses 10 through 14, and it is because of their violence to their brother Jacob. The phrase on that day is mentioned in verses 8, twice in 11, and then in the day is mentioned six times, twice in verse 12, three times in verse 13, and once in verse 14. On that day is in reference to when Jerusalem was being destroyed and Edom stood aloof and watched their strangers carry off their wealth and strangers entered the gates and cast lots for Jerusalem and they participated in that. Then it talks of how Edom gloated on the day of Israel's misfortune. They rejoiced on the day of destruction. They boasted on the day of distress. Then the Lord said, don't do that. Then verses 15 and 16 talk of the day of the Lord for Edom. And verse 15 says, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. The Hill and Walton book, a survey of the Old Testament, calls this Lex Talionis, which means eye for eye and tooth for tooth. We've also called this the retribution principle. If you obey me, then you receive blessings. If you disobey, then you receive curses. The chapter then ends with verses 17 through 21, and it talks of Israel's restoration. Some will escape Mount Zion and it will be holy, and they will have their possessions again. The house of Jacob and the house of Joseph, another name for the northern tribe of Israel, will be a flame, but the house of Esau will be stubble, and the fire of Jacob and Joseph will consume them, so there are no survivors. The last verse says, The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. One thing that we do not see with this judgment is a call for repentance. But the hope is that for the Jews, that God has not forsaken them and that he will fight for them in his own time. It is also a reminder that God will fight for all his children. The Lord knows the injustices that are done in this world. And even though it may seem that they just get away with it, the Lord knows and the Lord will take care of it in his time. This book is also a reminder to us that pride comes before the fall. The Lord is the God of heaven who sees all, knows all, and nothing is hid from his eyes. 
It is in our best interest to acknowledge him daily and submit to his authority over our lives. This book also reminds us that when we see injustices done, we are not just to stand around and watch or participate in the injustice or even gloat when that happens to our enemies. Proverbs chapter 24 verses 17 and 18 say, Do not gloat when your enemy falls, when they stumble. Do not let your heart rejoice, or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. Jesus takes it even farther in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 48. He says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did he say perfect? I can't be perfect. I didn't even think the word was in the Bible. (laughs) Well, the Greek word is teleos, which means complete, grow in mental or moral character completeness, a full age, or perfect. So it doesn't mean perfect as we think of perfect, but as Christians, we are to be growing towards the Lord. And as we do, we reflect the Lord to our world. Ladies, the Lord cares how we treat others, even our enemies. And dare I say it, even our family. Ugh. I don't know about you, but I can sure improve my actions toward some family members. When I am with family, sometimes I revert back to being a little kid again and all the emotional growth that I've worked so hard on goes out the window in just a matter of minutes. Sometimes we do what we know to be right, even if our emotions are not in line. And then God has a way of changing our hearts to love as he does. So ladies, what's the Lord calling you to do today? How have you heard him speak in this lesson? Whatever it is, let's not harden our hearts. Instead, let's be women who humble ourselves before him and obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.